0: Welcome to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Christine Schaffner, and today my guest is a dear friend and colleague, Dr. Hemel Patel, and we're going to be talking about A Healthier You Begins With Me. Dr. Patel is a tenured professor and vice chair for research in the Department of Anesthesiology at the University of California, San Diego, and has a dual appointment as a VA research career scientist and a VA research pharmacologist at the VA San Diego Healthcare System. He is also the Chief Scientific Officer for Versailles Discovery. He obtained his PhD from the Medical College of Wisconsin in pharmacology and toxicology and did a postdoctoral work at UCSD in the Department of Pharmacology under Paul himself. He has made seminal contributions in shaping new investigations areas on defining the impact of membrane structure on the cell, organ, and organismal physiology and metabolism with implications for cardiac ischemia, reperfusion injury, heart failure, diabetic cardiomyopathy, aging, pulmonary hypertension, cancer, and neurodegeneration. His focus on energetics and cell biology touches upon all of these and is a control point for managing and empowering human health resilience. Dr. Patel is a brilliant mind who has applied this incredible research background to creating a new mitochondrial efficiency test. We're going to be talking about what mitochondrial health is, also his new innovative test, going over my results, and coming up with solutions. So I really hope you enjoy this inspiring conversation as we build the future of medicine. Have a beautiful day. Welcome, everyone, to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Christine Schaffner, and I'm here today with a dear friend and colleague and inspiration, Dr. Hemel Patel. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Hey, Christine. It's great to see you again.
0: I know. This is our second recording, and I brought you on when I was diving into the Dr. Joe Dispenza world, and it satisfied my mystical mind and my scientific mind with the research that you were doing with him and continue to evolve and do which is a very exciting world but we're going to have a different conversation today all yeah. about your you know wealth of knowledge and your research around mitochondria so why don't we just you know many of my much of my audience knows you already but let's dive yeah. in a little bit about how you got involved in researching mitochondrial disease and health
1: Sure. So, you know, I did my PhD back in from 19, 1999 to 2002. I was in a lab that was looking at how the heart adapts from ischemic injury. So, when you're having a heart attack, what happens and how can you intervene to protect that heart from dysfunction and injury? It turns out that the heart is mostly a bag of mitochondria, right? When we think about white and brown adipose tissue, the reason why brown adipose tissue is brown is because it has a ton of mitochondria, which make it look brown. Mm
2: -hmm. From that
1: perspective, the heart is essentially brown adipose tissue, right? It's it's packed with mitochondria. And so when that tissue gets injured or when you're creating this misbalance of, of, of an ischemic region, right, you can't deliver oxygen nutrients to that space. And the first thing to go is this energy balance. And so the heart really competes throughout your entire lifetime to make energy, and it consumes a ton of energy because it has to beat to get blood to the rest of the body. And so in order to study this, I had to become an expert in mitochondrial biology. And so I've read lots of stuff about how mitochondria function, how they adapt to stress and ways to intervene and do all sorts of things. When I started my postdoc at UCSD, having that background from my PhD at the Medical College of Wisconsin really helped launch ideas around the mitochondria. I was in a new space where, and a new time where people were just explosively looking at ways to measure mitochondrial function in very sophisticated kinds of ways. The old lab that we started, you know, we had these Clark-type electrodes that measure um, oxygen at the thing and not very sensitive and wacky, where you get crazy results one day to the next. And then it gets fancier and fancier and fancier. Now you can do high throughput mitochondrial analysis at the level of the cell in real time. And so the the evolution of the ability to measure mitochondrial function has really advanced. Um, and this has sort of been my life for the, the last 10, 15 years, is really understanding how mitochondria function, and then coming up with unique ways to measure them and collaborating with lots of groups to help them do the studies that they do and at the peak and right now i think we're collaborating with almost 25 30 groups all over the world to help them understand how mitochondria behave in their various systems so wow. lots of work around that
0: yeah no and you know with our you know perspective on life you know it's like you've been you know, at the right time and the right place. And, you know, you're on, the, on this path, right, that's leading you to what we're really going to be talking about and, and how I look at life, right? It's, it's so fun to hear people's stories and how they're always guided, right? So many people in my world, so, you know, I've been practicing about 14 years and there's more and more of a conversation. And I think the story of COVID also really accelerated this around the mitochondria. And so we know the mitochondria is an area of focus, especially in a chronic illness state. So, you know, from that perspective, before we get into like the testing and solutions, like, you know, what have you learned about, you know, like what's going on when people get sick and what happens to their mitochondria um, when they're in a chronic illness? Obviously, there's different, you know, variations of this, but what's an underlying current?
1: yeah mitochondria are sort of this balance right they make energy and they signal and so most people sort of look at it from this perspective and so in lots of diseases you see this demise of mitochondrial function over time one of the things that we've been thinking about is every disease can be reduced to something right and so one of the things that people like to reduce disease to is this mismatch of energy generation and utilization so Neurodegeneration, cardiovascular diseases, issues with cancer, all of it is ultimately an energy problem. Mm-hmm. You're either making too much, too little, and it's that balance that drives that phenotype. The uniqueness of mitochondria is they're essentially in every cell of your body other than your red blood cells. And so they really become this conduit to, to create this resiliency across organs and then organ systems, and then essentially the organism as a whole. Where mitochondria become really interesting and, and where we've seen a lot of interest in this space is longevity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's lots of evidence that suggest that as you get older and older and older, your mitochondria start to dysfunction. You don't have this ability to maintain this energy balance. And these may be the primary conduits for why people ultimately age, that they don't have that energy balance, that they're making more free radicals. Mitochondria are also this primary site where Oxidant-free radicals get made and create lots of damage to your cells in terms of lipid, DNA, proteins, and other things. And so they really become this gatekeeper of energy balance as well as cell death and survival. And so and it's important in every disease process, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. And I, as you're talking, I'm also thinking about this. Thought that's probably a new thought. There are kind of two new thoughts out there in the chronic illness world. One is this idea of mitophagy. So we apply these principles of autophagy to the mitochondria and this idea of mitochondrial biogenesis. So um, cleaning up our mitochondria and making new mitochondria, especially if we have to. So I, I'm always a solution person. So I you know, if you have dysfunctional mitochondria, which we're going to talk about even my dysfunctional (laughs) mitochondria in this conversation, but maybe educate the audience on these two concepts um, and anything else that you feel relevant at this point, but like mitophagy and um, mitochondrial biogenesis, because those are terms that are getting thrown around and my patients are really educated and they're probably curious about your perspective. Yeah. I
1: mean, one of the interesting features of mitochondria is how you get them, right? They largely come from your mother. And so there's this maternal lineage that you can track through looking at mitochondrial mutations and those sorts of things. And the egg has is a bigger mass than a sperm. And so it's got most of the energetic kinds of things. You get some mitochondria from that sperm, but the dominant form is from your mother. And so it's really maternal tracking that you can do with this when they come in. And so they go into various cell types and and basically cells have energetic blocks, right? So your brain energy is very different than your heart energy, which is very different than your liver and your kidney. And a driver for all of this is the metabolism that's created in that particular organ. And the driver for all of that is the mitochondria that you contain and the the resources and that things that are available. Um, So if you look at organ to organ sort of functionality, you can really look at an energetic signature and tells you how one organ behaves differently from another. One of the big problems that people have had with stem cell therapies and other things in terms of regeneration is they'll shove stem cells into the heart and they can't figure out why those cells don't live there, right? Mm -hmm. And it's because the heart is a syncytium of multiple cells that are well connected to each other and they have a really tight network that they form similar to how your neuron is. And so if you introduce a stranger into a very tight system, Mm. that stranger is going to be blocked and and sort of kept out of that realm. Right. Mm. And so this is one of the things that we've really been thinking about. The energetic signature really matters. This gets really interesting in the setting of cancer. Now you've changed the energetic pattern in a tumor Mm -hmm. and you can essentially suck energy out of normal living systems that are around you. And those cells now start behaving like a syncytium and an an organism on its own. Mm -hmm. And their entire goal is to grow out of control. Mm -hmm. And it's really tied to that metabolic fate. Most people think then ultimately when you say mitochondria, Mm -hmm. they think of ATP, right? Mm -hmm. And so they think that they make energy. Well, it turns out they do a lot of other things Mm -hmm. besides making energy. And so they have a shape, they have a dynamic to them, and they have structure to them. Um, there are certain drivers in a system, PGC1-alpha, there's certain transcription factors that will actually raise mitochondrial um, biogenesis. And so these you can track in lots of individuals and see if you have mitobiogenesis versus you know stagnant mitochondrial growth. They're very dynamic. So they're constantly morphing, dividing, they butt off of each other. And one of the big drivers for this is looking at dynamics of fusion and fission. Mm-hmm. And so certain diseases have a fizzing response, right? Mm-hmm. So cancer is one of these classic things. Um, when your cell's starting to get ready to divide, one of the first things that starts morphing is your mitochondria start to fizz because you have to donate a certain energetic load to one cell and the other. What well, cancer then triggers is it's always got constantly fizzed mitochondria. So they're mm-hmm. small and small and small. So it perpetuates this desire for that cell to continually divide and proliferate.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. So people have looked at inhibitors of mitochondrial fission as a way to to stop cancer growth. And so there are certain compounds and targeted gene therapies that will do this. So that dynamic nature becomes really important. One of the things you mentioned that ties to this is autophagy. And so the the mitochondrial specific autophagy is called mitophagy, right? Mm -hmm. And so if there are dysfunctional mitochondria in your cell, in your organ, in your living system, there are active processes in place to tag those deficient mitochondria and basically eat them up and create new raw material for other things. Lots of diseases have defects in the dynamics of mitochondria. So you either have this hyperfusion, hyperfission, or you have this inability to, to get rid of your dysfunctional mitochondria to a loss of mitophagy. And so heart disease is one of these so the major driver in ischemic heart disease is you don't have this mitophagy phenotype you can reactivate this mitophagy phenotype and you get really cool changes in heart dynamics doing nothing else other than just targeting targeting the dynamic behavior of mitochondria so mm-hmm. not messing with the energy but messing with their structure and function mm-hmm. will create a resiliency in that system as well mm-hmm. There's been amazing studies done that track that dynamic nature of the mitochondria, and, and it sort of links to diseases and other things. Cells like the heart um, give you unique insights into learning that not all mitochondria are created equal.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: once you have that egg, which then gets fertilized and you start forming these cells, and then you actually start forming organs, It turns out the heart is a very structured organ, and -hmm. so if you isolate an individual cell, the cardiac cell, out of that larger population, it looks like a boxcar. They're the most amazing cells I've ever seen under a microscope, Mm -hmm. but you can't can't miss them for anything else. Mm -hmm. And then when you actually look at them at the electron microscopy level at thousands of X magnification, the mitochondria just light up. And so people have looked at this, and our lab has been very interested in this. Mm-hmm. It turns out that even in a s- single cell, there are multiple populations of mitochondria in that cell, and they do uniquely different things for that cell and for yeah. that organism. So in a cardiac myocyte, there's these things called the subsarcolemal mitochondria. The sarcolemma is this plasma membrane that um, in the heart is called the sarcolemma. They're mitochondria that sit right under that membrane. Okay. And they don't, when you isolate those particular mitochondria from what's called the inner fibrillary mitochondria, which is sitting inside the fiber of that that heart cell, they look different. Structurally, they're different. Functionally, they're very different. They make very little ATP, but they have a signaling role. Mm -hmm. So when you start probing them for various proteins, it turns out most of the signaling proteins are localized to these mitochondria at the cell surface. Whereas the interfibrillary mitochondria, all they're there is they're bags of mitochondria that make energy. And so in in a very complicated cell like the myocyte, you have this differentiation of roles of unique mitochondria. I would hazard, and this hasn't been proven out, that there's even a third form of mitochondria in a cardiac myocyte. Again, when you look at the EM level, you see these dense organizations of mitochondria around the nuclei. And I think that those are the mitophagic mitochondria. So these are the things that create this gatekeeper, housekeeper kind of thing, where the dysfunctional mitochondria ultimately end up in this space and they get churned up and and utilized for raw resources.
2: Hmm. And so
1: the complexity is just crazy dynamic of these organelles and they control. I mean, it's essentially it's a parasite that got incorporated in our cells. And we provided an environment to grow, and it provides us a way to make really efficient energy for everything that we do. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think intelligence, growth, um, resiliency, all of it comes from how much mitochondria you have and how functional you can make them.
0: Yeah. No, as you're talking, I just, you know, we always think about the microcosm and the macrocosm and these rela- relationships and, you know, it's like this whole mitochondrial network, um, you know, just visualizing that in the body and then, you know, just each tissue and each organ. And then I'm thinking, you know, like, okay, we are many human cells, obviously, but we have a whole microbiome and,
2: you yeah. know,
0: that whole, the you know, conversation there. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, like health is really complicated um, as your, you know, studies have shown the layers of complexity, but the elegance right and it's all about how well can a system you know communicate right and how well can these networks be resilient in their communication and um that's what you know with restoring that it leads to health right when we when we get a disease there's so many fascinating things Hamel. Um, What about, I mean, this is just purely my curiosity. Um, I love to study, like, the physics of our body, um, most specifically, like, light and sound and these um, other communications beyond just, you know, biochemical. And there's a conversation around biophotonic communication body. And, you know, this is the work of, you know, many people, but, you know, Fritz-Albert Popp, rather, he did a lot of work, and then I've read papers about a mitochondrial biophotonic energy, especially in neurons and, and you know, yeah. the neurons and how in the nerve cells, and so yeah. how that can be, you know, a signal of disease or, you know, health. And so I was just curious in all of your research if you've seen anything around this or you have an opinion or curiosity. We,
1: we, or we haven't really looked yet. at that element. I mean, we, you know, when I was in grad school, we were doing in this ischemia reperfusion therapy area. One of the, one of the surgeons, a PhD in the surgery department wanted us to do red and blue light therapy to the heart to see if you'd get resiliency against ischemic heart disease. And magically when you shine this light on this heart and this infarct, less of that tissue dies.
2: Yeah. So I have
1: to think that somehow you get activated by this. Yeah. And again, this goes back to evolution. Yeah. The counterpart to mitochondria in mammalian and sort of animal living world, in the plant world, you have chloroplast,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? These are the mitochondrial equivalents in terms of the biochemistry of what the plant uses to, at the end of the day, use carbon dioxide to make energy. Mm-hmm. But the involvement of that needs photons, right? Right, You have to get light to activate that system to do this biochemical reaction. And so it's just mitochondrial respiration on the flip end, right? In a chloroplast. So I have to imagine that there's some conservation of that biology.
0: Yeah. No, it's just, um, you know, curiosity for me as I'm, you know, continuing to evolve my models and frameworks of the human body and you know, I think it's a fascinating area for like, you know, strategizing solutions, you know, once we get to understand what's going on beneath the hood, I guess, you know, anything you want to say about other tissues? Like, I mean, I I know people think when they think of mitochondria, like every cell, but like the eyes or, you know, we've mentioned already the brain, any, anything that you've come across that you feel would be. Yeah. I mean,
1: our, our, Research has really fixated on the heart yeah. for many, many years, and then when I started at UCSD, we started a program where we were looking at the brain with, yeah. with a colleague of mine. He is now, you know, a, an internationally famous neuroscientist yeah. that does amazing stuff yeah. um, against ALS, Alzheimer's, yes. Parkinson's. And he and I are on a couple of patents together, and our patent for ALS was just picked up, and it's Absolutely. around this idea that you can alter membrane structures as a way to, to re-engage the neuronal, neuronal degeneration that happens mm. in these diseases. And everything comes back. And one of the oh. the conduits of this is that that membrane reorganization actually also impacts mitochondrial functionality. Wow! All of the energy systems that are lost in that come back. And they're driven by this reorganization of lipids and other things that happen.
0: Mm. Wow. You know, ALS is like, The hardest disease I feel like on the planet to treat. So, thank you for contributing your knowledge. Yeah,
1: we'll see where we go. We should be in hopefully human trials very soon. Right. Amazing.
0: Yeah, I know that is so needed. So, that's incredible. And, you know, really, it's, you know, I think really no accident you're focused on the heart. As my friend, Dr. Roland McCready, you know, teaches me, you know, the heart informs the brain, you know, so it's really the, you know, great conductor of the body in so many ways. So, Makes a lot of sense. And of course, the impact of mitochondrial health. So Hamel, we reconnected, you know, I've been following your work, obviously, with Dispenza and continued to be um, really inspired. And then, you know, we reconnected because you have come up with a test. And so how have you applied this knowledge and this research to actually the testing of human mind mitochondria? Yep.
1: So we, we talked a lot about mitochondria being important in disease and processes, right? And the way we came to that conclusion is we had access to actual tissue with mitochondria in it that we could measure the functionality in. So the gold standard in this space has always been tissue level measurements. And so you can actually do muscle biopsies from humans. And we've been involved in hundreds of these on campus with different treating modalities and other things that we're looking at. We can get that muscle fresh in the lab, and then we spend six to eight hours analyzing it in excruciating detail. Problem is, there's no scalability there, right? How do you scale this to the next level? So we were involved in a number of evolution of that from moving away from muscle biopsies, which are painful, uh, compliance is low, lots of potential for infection and other things, and all the things that go along with actually getting hard tissue Mm -hmm. from a human. And so the question was, could we use some other surrogate as a marker for metabolism in an individual? And work we did with NASA, work we've done on campus and a number of human-related projects, and work we've done with Joe suggests that our environment that we created with our mind, with our heart, with our gut, gets captured in your blood, right? And this is why when you go into a physician or some practitioner of any sort of thing, one of the first things they'll think about is let's run a blood test,
2: right? Mm-hmm.
1: So they'll draw some blood and they'll look for this, that, and the other, lots of biomarkers. The idea is that health and disease get captured at the level of blood in terms of a global measure of who you are. And so through years of, of sort of looking at these samples and trying to think about how to scale this with, with this test that we've developed, uh, you know, I, I took on a, a dual role so I keep my day job at UCSD and I can be a professor and have people in the lab and go hard
2: help right? <laughs> right.
1: And, and so I, I was consulting for this company called Versailles Health, and we were looking at ways to, to really sort of manage CBD molecules and come up with ways to screen and test those molecules. And they were visiting my lab and they oh, show us what you do in the lab. And so I showed them all the cool tools that we have available. They were enamored by the mitochondria and all the things and all the ways we could measure mitochondrial function. And the thought was, we should be able to do something with this, right? And help humans in some way and and scale a test or something right around Mm -hmm. this. And so we started to focus on this. And so they're like, we would love for you to quit your day job and come work for us as our chief scientific officer to run this new division called Discovery. And I'm like, yeah, there's no way I'm gonna give this up, right? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. And So
1: we were able to navigate conflicts and I became their chief scientific officer on the sort of the part-time side and UCSD allows this of their faculty. Oh awesome. As long as you create that claim that conflict of interest, yeah, there are hours that you can devote to doing this type of work. Yeah. And so then we, you know, had this special time and we started working with them on really unique ways to to functionalize a test around blood and mitochondria. And so we, through a a series of crazy coincidences and lots of iterations of something, we came down to um, the environment that a person creates actually changes their metabolic fate. And so the question was, how do we grab this in a scalable kind of way? And so the test is called the me screen, right? Mm -hmm. And so our tagline is a healthier you begins with me. And so me in the me screen stands for mitochondrial efficiency. And so it's this cutesy way to tie this into someone's health. And i truly believe that I think it's a personalized approach to health. And this is one of the first tests out there on the market that gives you a way to look at your energetic status.
2: Mm-hmm. Everyone
1: talks about it in the right. clinical setting, right? Mm-hmm. They want to measure mitochondria. Mm-hmm. And one of the big questions I ask is, well, you're talking about mitochondria. How do you measure it? And most of them say, well, we look at these organic acids, inorganic sort of biomarkers and this, that, and the other, and that gets us a sense of how the mitochondria are behaving. But that's really not a driver, right? One, A couple ways to think about it is the DNA you have, people get very worried when they do these heredity tests and they look at these SNP yeah. analyses, and there's a potential for something, but it's not realized because you don't know the epigenetics and other Things that may That's modify it.
0: Problem with those, types. right? Yeah.
1: And so the biomarkers are the same thing. There's a potential for your mitochondria to do this, that, and the other, mm-hmm. but we don't know because there is no, no measurement of that, right? And so the other sort of analogy I've been using for people is imagine there's something wrong with your car and you take it to the mechanic. The current world and what we're faced with and what you're allowed to do is the mechanic basically can open up the hood and then you tie their hands behind their back and you basically say you can look around and tell me what's wrong. That's what the biomarker is, right? You're right. just looking with your eyes and trying to figure this out. What MeScreen allows that mechanic to do is to untie their hands, get into the car, turn it on and actually take it for a drive.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think he, the mechanic is gonna be able to diagnose that car if he can actually take it for a drive. Yeah. In a lot of sense, right? physicians and providers are mechanics. You're, mm-hmm. you're yeah, trying to absolutely. fix the thing that's a broken system. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine the human body is way more complicated than a car, but I wouldn't <laughs> want to fix either of them, right? I just, my brain doesn't go there. And so MeScreen allows you to look at mitochondrial function in excruciating detail. So now the environment this person has created, we figured out a scalable way to capture this. So we have these unique bilayer blood cards And so you poke your finger, you drop a couple drops of blood on one of these windows, and your serum is wicked into this other window. And then that dries, and it gets put into a desiccated pouch. At room temperature, the sample gets shipped to us, and we've tested extreme temperatures as well. It's frigid cold in the East Coast right now, so will that impact this test? It can be hot and humid in Florida in the summers. Will that impact the test? These cards are super stable right? And we've tested them out for for multiple days out. So we can take a sample from this card after it's been archived that same hour day kind of thing, or let it sit on there for a month and the results come out essentially the same on this test. So now you have a way to scale. Anyone who can poke their finger can do this test, right? We're we're targeting a provider market because we want to create a knowledge base around this Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't want to sort of, you know, Put a match to this huge stick of just giving people information they don't know what to do with it. Yeah, I think you have to be still managed by someone who understands the larger biology and the context of what this test reveals, because there's so much information that comes out of this. Because you're now that mechanic that's turned that car on and you're taking it for a drive, you can hear all the rattles and shakes and in things that are potentially dysfunctioning, Hmm. and so it's it's this unique way to look at someone's biology and their their system, because we've got this capture of who they are from their blood. And then we get to see this in a live system where we're impacting function, dynamic, structure, all of those things at Mm -hmm. one time.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, no, it's fascinating. And that's been kind of my, you know, rub with some of these tests, you know, they're like amazing, they satisfy my brain in a lot of ways, especially the SNP. But especially in the early years when all of that came out and then we tried to like tinker with just giving like somebody with cmt magnesium and B6, yep. it was like, yep. that, did, that didn't do it. You know what I mean? Yep. So functionality of what's happening is really, you know, critical for like clinical application. So, you know, you have a couple of different panels. Do you want to just describe those and then we can dive into like, you know, what my test looks like?
1: Yeah, no. So we, we have, Three panels that we're offering, um, and they successfully build on each other. Mm-hmm. The essential panel essentially is a stress test for your mitochondria. And so we can, we can, and maybe I'll go back and just explain how the test works, right? Yeah. yeah. Perfect. So we're not looking at actual mitochondria from you. We're not looking at cells from you, which can be done, but again, has this higher bar of getting the sample processed in a unique kind of way, getting it to the lab in a reasonable amount of time, and then all the resources that have to go in to isolate this. So what we're looking at is the environment that you're creating in your blood through all of the things that are happening to you, right? So if you're happy, if you're sad, if your gut's in order, if it's out of order, all of those processes are releasing uh, metabolites through biochemical reactions, exosomes, proteins, antibodies that get captured in your blood. Mm-hmm. We then take that environment that you've created, your blood environment in the serum, and we adopt that environment to a living cell that's sitting on our assay, right? Mm-hmm. And so we've optimized this for a muscle cell right now. Mm-hmm. Through a lot of tweaking, we've essentially done this in cells that represent other organs in your body. So eventually we will come out with a me screen neuro, a me screen heart, a me screen kidney. And, mm-hmm. and then we're looking at disease processes as well will have a me screen diabetes, a me screen cancer, right? We can do, it's a very dynamic and unique system you can do this in. Mm -hmm. Then you take your blood environment and now you add it to this muscle cell that we've optimized and we see how your environment changes the metabolic fate of that muscle cell. Mm -hmm. And we can look at it in a very, very unique and and tight way. The system measures- I,
0: I don't mean to interrupt by the way, but you don't know, but you are- a bioregulatory medicine doctor and you didn't even know it um i don't no, know, I know if, if you studied dr. dr alfred pischinger who's passed but he wrote the book about the extracellular matrix and he has that famous yeah. quote that we all talk it's not the cell strictly speaking in isolation it's the environment and the milieu that dictates health or disease and so this yeah. is like thank you
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah well i mean that i'm glad i'm glad you put that in because a lot of people have a tough time making the you know, sleep this, like the this this is like the philosophy this is how right? i get
0: chronically ill people better you know because yeah. i'm not you know we trust that if we can get the lymphatics and the environment and the you know milieu in a better yeah. you know position that we know that the cell by default will shift and change you know so right you're yeah. just sharing like the how to and the actually what's happening. Like right. we just were yeah. kind of, you know, um, enthralled with that, you know, philosophy yeah. and, you know, it right. works. So, but I just, maybe for fun, you can read that. You, you'd be a guy who could read that book. So just maybe I'll send it to you,
1: you know? <laughs> be yeah. It'd be yeah, so then we basic as an easy sample we can capture from virtually anyone in the world, mm-hmm. right? As long as you're not afraid of that poke. Some people yeah. are, but most yeah. people are not, right? Yeah. It's a small couple it's drops vast. of blood. Yeah,
2: yeah. So
1: then we take that and put it on this cell, and the first panel, the essential panel, we subject those cells and their mitochondria to a stress protocol. And so now we see how your environment that's now adopted to that cell is either resilient or exaggerates that stress response. And it gives you some really interesting insights into what's going on in your body in that environment that you've created. The next level test we call the plus. And so the plus gives you all of the essential components, but then adds on a physiological energetic map. And so we can tell whether you're using different processes to make energy. So the two big processes that our systems use are glycolysis, which is an inefficient way to make ATP, Mm And mitochondrial respiration, which is a very efficient way to make ATP. Mm -hmm. The uniqueness in this is one is inefficient, but has less issues with resiliency and and other things that downstream it can create. With mitochondria, you're essentially playing with molecular fire, right? You've got oxygen in there. When you play with fire, you can get burned sometime, Mm -hmm. right? And so the potential in the mitochondria. Is if your systems that drive electrons and use oxygen in the system are not behaving right, you essentially make a, a molecular fire, which is free radicals, mm-hmm. and these oxidant free radicals or reactive oxygen species can be negative um, and create all kinds of injury and those sorts of things. so that plus panel really looks at how you're driving energy in your system, and can you use both systems? Can you be aerobic? Can you be quiet and quiescent when you need to be? And it sort of looks at that balance.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The complete panel includes the essential and the plus, but it adds on two unique elements we think are the next level of mm-hmm. thinking around this, right? And we've already been talking about the negative effects of what happens when your mitochondria are inefficient or not functioning well, is you make free radicals. Mm-hmm. And so we have a test where we can look at the basal generation of reactive oxygen species in that system. And then we stress that system with your sample on it, and we see if your system creates resiliency from that increased mm-hmm. load, or if it then heightens that ROS generation mm-hmm. as well.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then the final piece in the complete is, goes back to this idea that we were talking about, that mitochondria not only make energy, but they're involved in the signaling aspect. We talked a lot about the dynamic nature of how they shift and move and morph and do all these things. And so we created our stable cell lines. And so the stability in this is that they're expressing a green reporter that lights up all of their mitochondria. And so now when we do a live capture, a video capture of what they're doing, we can see how all of these mitochondria are moving around and behaving. And so we add the serum and we can see how that initial load changes that dynamic, whether they slow down, whether they speed up, or they start to fizz, whether they move apart from each other. And then again, we stress the system and we see if there is an ability to maintain that resiliency or whether it starts to fall apart even more. This is this network testing. And so it gives you a sense of, are you able to resist stress by creating this resilient mitochondrial network? The more connected they are, they they can absorb calcium loads and all kinds of other stressors in the system. The less connected they are, they lose that sponge capability, right? And they really create dysfunction.
0: Hmm. So fascinating. I I love hearing you share all of this. And so I humbly am sharing my test, and my audience knows I've been through a journey these last three years. But this is awesome because it's giving me an area to focus and kind of investigate a little bit more. So we looked at my test. I don't know if you have it in front of you, Hamel. I can remind you. Yeah, um, I got it. Okay, yeah. so. You know, so we have the first part of the score, and we can just illustrate kind of where I'm out of balance just to bring, I always find when we hear kind of like, you know, a person's interpretation of a test, it kind of yeah. put um, brings some light bulbs. So, you know, the first panel, um, what stood out was my baseline respiration was quite high. And you said notably high to the 72 in case you take the test. Yeah. Um So please don't beat me on on this, but it gives us some information. So what were you thinking when you saw this and explain a little bit what this means?
1: Yeah, so that was a worrisome number to us, right? And so there is an environment that you're creating in your body that drives metabolism when it shouldn't be driving. Mm -hmm. So the basal respiration is we've essentially added your sample to the system and energy starts to drive through that system. In a basal setting, if you're not, if you're sitting around, you don't need that energy.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: that suggested to us that maybe there's some process going on that's siphoning away energy that doesn't need to be siphoned away in a resting mm-hmm. state.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so none of these numbers in in isolation mean much mm-hmm. when you look at it as a combination factor. It gives you lots of insights into what potentially is going on.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so um, Hemel and I talked a little bit, you know, before coming on And, you know, he, um, we have some ideas to investigate. So I feel very like proactive. Also some solutions that we're going to talk about at the end, you know, that I'm going to start and the beauty of this test, we can apply an intervention and then, you know, retest. Right. And when yeah. I heard about this test, I was like, this is going to help us change medicine because we're going to show that our medicine changes mitochondrial efficiency. And yeah. so, um, which is exciting. So I have some homework to do here. So. Anything else that stand out in the essential panel, this first panel?
1: Yeah, so I mean, one the, mm-hmm. the three other things that we can measure, there, right? So your baseline respiration was high, suggesting mm-hmm. that, again, there's something sucking some energy out of the system. Your mitochondrial efficiency was average um, and actually quite good. And so this mm-hmm. is measuring inefficiency in the system. So it suggests that you probably have normally functioning complexes and re- and substrates that are driving this. And there isn't this leakiness that's happening. And so if mitochondria are dysfunctional, they'll tend to leak electrons when they shouldn't leak mm-hmm. those electrons. Yeah. So that was a, a good thing. Yeah. But then when we, what we do is we stress the mitochondria to, to work as hard as they can in that system. And that gives us a way to measure a reserve capacity that you have or this capacity of load that you can call upon if you're stressed.
2: Mm-hmm. And we were
1: concerned that your mitochondrial potential was really low. Mm-hmm. And so this suggests that because you're siphoning all this energy off in the basal setting, there's not much of a reserve you have that when you are stressed, you can call upon that reserve to do what you need to do and and be resilient and responsive. Yeah, um,
0: and you know, I my patients know. Like I, fourteen years in practice, hardly miss a day. And in the last probably two years, I've taken a few more sick days, and I you know, I figure I'm getting every variant of COVID, you know, or, you know, because I'm always working with people never stopped. Um, But you know, my, my body will bounce back, but I've realized I have to actually stop where before I never I could work through it. And I didn't stop, you know, so I would reflect that that, you know, that makes sense. Yeah,
1: your overall mitochondrial index, which is a conglomerate of these three looked Mm -hmm. okay, but that really is driven by that high efficiency level that you have. But overall, that concern was that baseline respiration and that mitochondrial potential being low. Mm-hmm. They're on the polar opposites of each other. Mm-hmm. Typically, you'd want to see a lower baseline respiration and a higher mitochondrial potential, suggesting that you have that reserve that you can call upon when you're stressed, right?
2: Mm-hmm. And so
1: this would be a way to to think about, right, it, are there instances where you feel like you want to just go, 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 and you just can't because you have this this mm-hmm. energy sort of mismatch?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: You no, know, I've admitted I'm tired more than I ever have in my life and you know I can I'm very functional if you saw my schedule like nobody would yeah. if like that, that that was the case. I also attest, you know, I I do practice a lot what I preach. You know, I wake up and meditate, I exercise, I do yoga, I try to yeah. eat healthy. So when you talk about like the efficiency score like if you know if I didn't practice these things, you know, it right. would be interesting to Yeah. Which which is
1: a good segue to the plus panel. So when we run the plus, you look like a million bucks. I mean, everything, and this is under a physiological setting, so not under a stress setting. You're able to make energy with glycolysis. You're able to make energy with mitochondria. You can be aerobic, quiescent when you need to be. And you fall straight dead in the middle of mm-hmm. all of these. Things. So mm-hmm. I mean, that's one of the best sort of straight line scores we've seen <laughs> yeah. in our normative group. Yeah. And so this is where this really balance of when a system is stressed versus mm-hmm. when it's just resting and relaxing. Yeah. You get this different sort of uh, dynamic sort of shift. Mm-hmm. And so then to get a sense of what all this means, right? We have one test that gives you sort of this really concerning mm-hmm. response, and other tests are like, "Wow, this is great." Mm-hmm. So what? potentially is going on. And this is where that last panel, the complete, really comes in. Mm-hmm. And so when we looked at your ROS, under resting basal conditions, you had an average reactive oxygen mm-hmm. species force, nothing to, to write home about kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But then when we stressed that system, your mm-hmm. ROS core went higher than, I think you went number one. It was yeah. higher than <laughs> anyone we've seen. Your stressed I'm ROS so, your stress ROS goes through the roof. Yeah. And when we look at the dynamics of your network, the same thing happens in a basal resting setting. When we show in the plus that everything is in line, it looks average and just perfect. As soon as you stress that system, your network starts to disintegrate and fall apart.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I've been very frank with my audience. I've had some prolonged stress, you know, for about three years. I'm coming out of it, but build a new practice under. Rest. you know, have my pituitary tumor, have been under anesthesia, had gadolinium, had two CT scans, you know, doing things that are not my normal lifestyle and, you know, just the stress of, you know, life during this kind of building and building time in a sea of unknown. You know, I'm making a joke like, what if I didn't meditate with what this would look like? But also, you know, I'm I'm thinking about, okay, what's my visualization going to be, you know, um, while I... Yeah, I'm um, do my meditation on top of some of the things you're saying, and so, you know, the this stress response and yeah. this um, communication network, you know, um, right. communicating better, and so yeah. th- this yeah. gives me some tangible, not like nebulous ideas of where right. to focus, and yeah. you know, and another highlight like stress is not good for the body, you know, and, right. and we know well, we know this, so no, this was really informative, and you know, just put some things into laser focus for me. Hamil, tell me about like you know again you're the research guy you're the brilliant guy coming up with this but you know solutions you you talked yeah. to me a little bit already but like talk to this test like what would you know what would you share with a clinician providing yeah. information yeah. to the patient
1: No so we're we're building an educational platform mm-hmm. um so the caveat is this is not a diagnostic it's not a clinically valid test it's a wellness test that we're doing but there's lots of data published papers out there that give you ways to think about these results amongst a lot of other things that happen with your mitochondria. And so we are building an education platform that our providers that use this test will have access to and we talk about these and we'll do grand rounds once a month where we bring in unique cases and we talk as a group and really think about how to drive the the data around this to the next level and have everyone sort of learn and Mm -hmm. then behave. Yeah. So in looking at these, a couple things sort of stand out, right? The 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 stress response is clear. Um, Mm -hmm. When your system is stressed, it's not behaving well. What it suggests is that that stress is potentially being driven and activated by these free radicals that are being generated. And so in looking at this, I mean, one of the things to try if you're not on would be some sort of antioxidant mix.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, You know, most people take glutathione or something like that. Um, Mm -hmm. One of the things we're learning with this Mm -hmm. test. I was
0: like, I have some on my desk. Yeah. Is, well,
1: so one of the things we're learning is that there's so many products out there that claim to work on mitochondria,
2: mm-hmm.
1: yet no one really knows. There hasn't been a functional no, test. right. Test, I just right?
2: guessing. Mm-hmm. And so
1: we've done crazy things in the lab where we'll go on a, a supplement bend for a, a month or yeah. so at a time, like right? Really high levels of the best mitochondria supplement. Turns out most of them do absolutely nothing to your mitochondria. Yeah. And so this, again, puts the power back into the hands of the provider and the patient that they're managing to really see if something works. The other way to think about this is there's so many things out there that could change these values and things, but they don't work the same way in every individual. Yeah, of course. And so now you have a tool to see if it's actually going to work in you and, and create mm-hmm. uniqueness. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, there's lots of, of antioxidants out there that people have tested. I think a lot of knowledge around N-acetylcysteine, yeah. um, glutathione. There's other sort of antioxidant systems, vitamin C, vitamin E, yep. combination kinds of things. Um, less well information around methylene blue and those sorts of things. Yep. And we're starting to validate and test some of these things. Yeah,
0: first. no, I'd be super curious what you come up yeah. with. We, I also think of melatonin in higher doses. Yeah, yeah. been informed about mitochondrial melatonin that's yeah. actually there to. Help with the ROS and, and yep. the. the mito- we're we're
1: actually playing around with this. Um, yep. So I'll I'll talk about that in a second. The other aspect was a network thing, right? Yep. So it suggests that there may be some um, issues with fusion, fission, mitophagy, those kinds of things. Um, there's hammers that will work on lots of things, right? Mm-hmm. So people talk about cold stress, hot stress, going to an intensive meditative retreat, or <laughs>
0: Get
1: a sign <laughs> psychedelic or something like that, you could go really extreme with this. But there are other physical ways to do this. Um, so one of the things that I studied in my PhD that created the most amazing resiliency against an ischemic event, right? This mm-hmm. is a, a, process, a disease process that targets your mitochondria and your energy systems. It was discovered in the mid 80s, That and they were actually trying to create more injury in a system. So what they did is they created small bouts of ischemia reperfusion,
2: Mm -hmm. basically
1: a hypoxia to almost an anoxic condition, but let the system learn. And then they came in after a few of these cycles, about 15 minutes later, they gave it massive heart attack. It turns out that the hearts are actually protected. Very little tissue dies. And so this idea of preconditioning was born there, right? Mm -hmm. And people have been trying to create a pill to create this physical stressor in our bodies forever. Turns out this phenomena happens in every organ. So if you give small stressors to a system, it knows how to Adapt to a larger stressor that happens at a later time.
2: Mm.
1: And my PhD thesis was to look at the window of this. And so we were actually looking at the long term effect of this protection. Mm. And so when you get this small ischemic event, you actually are protected for almost 48 hours because you have this complete gene therapy and other things. We can do this ourselves, right? If you learn how to do hypoxic breathing, Mm -hmm. you can create this preconditioning like phenotype because you're depriving the cells and teaching them about this resiliency. There's lots of evidence out there to suggest that hypoxic events like preconditioning and other things in organs will jumpstart the dynamic process in mitochondria. So the mitophagy goes through the roof mm-hmm. and the fusion fission dynamic comes into balance with that, right? Mm-hmm. So that would be something to potentially try that has very little harm at the end of the day. You know? You
0: see those blood flow restricted weight kind of varying, you know, things yeah. that everybody
1: yeah. is doing. There have been clinical studies done around this and yeah. they're sort of mixed results. Um, yeah. in patients, there was a study done where they would make the arm of these patients ischemic and then they would look at um, you know, resolution from cardiac disease or surgeries and things like that. And the kids that got these tourniquets and individuals that got their tourniquets had an amazing resiliency because that hypoxia released a bunch of factors again, right? Back into your blood. Mm-hmm. And this is this concept of remote preconditioning that mm-hmm. if you make a peripheral organ ischemic, it starts to change your blood environment and releases factors mm-hmm. that then have this global effect on changing the mitochondrial energetic balance.
2: Mm-hmm. Wow. So there's
1: a lot of literature mm-hmm. around this. So this mm-hmm. would be something I would, with that network dynamic thing, mm-hmm. to potentially think about and try. Mm.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And so then
1: back to your idea of the melatonin, right? Yeah, so we've actually started playing around with this idea okay. mm-hmm. is let's say we we've created you in a dish, right? Mm-hmm. Cause we've got your blood and we've created that environment. And we have that biology of mitochondria.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The question that's come up is, can you spike in compounds, you know, should fix that biology. And yeah. now with your environment, can we actually see a shift in that mitochondria? Mm-hmm. So rather than you having to try 10 15 20 thousand compound. Yeah. They could literally be tested in a personalized way on our assay. Mm. And this is sort of the next level offering that we're trying yeah. to scale and think about yeah. is we can give you a dynamic aspect of out of these 15 20 things you may want to start with these two or three first. Yeah. And we think melatonin is going to be one of these major molecules that yeah. does this. It's getting the dose right that's going to be critical.
0: You know, in my kind of experience, you know, it, again there's definitely a higher need for melatonin we live in a very melatonin deficient time i believe in modern life there's a lot of things up against our mitochondrial machinery and so um i've seen you know people actually do well on you know not just like 20 but we will compound um even creams that are like 150 200 there's um suppositories that are 50 200 400 and I was very nervous when we started doing this. I was like, Oh my God, people are going to get serotonin yeah. syndrome. What's going to happen? Yeah. But they did remarkably very well. Oh. And so we have this idea too, like, um, you know, in the brain it can assist the lymphatic system in yeah. detoxification of the brain. So when we're trying to get the things out of the brain that could be creating neurodegeneration, it assists. Yeah. Us. And so that's kind of what got us, you know, down that road. But um this makes yeah, no, the dosing it'd be interesting
1: uh, to do a me screen on those patients and yeah, see what the before totally, and after changes totally. are. You know?
0: Yeah, and I, I'm really curious what the doses that you're gonna come up with with because I bet it's yeah. higher than you think it's gonna be.
1: Yeah, possibly. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, and that's one of the other things we're very interested in is engaging with people that are curious and want to do studies, right? Yeah. Clinical studies around yeah. using their protocol and using our test as a way to to figure things out.
0: Yeah. No, I mean there's like endless, unlimited possibilities with this, but it's very much, I think, a very elegant solution. You know, if to distill down complexity on in you know this ever emerging world of chronic illness. So I'm I'm really excited, and I think this is where you know the alternative and the chronic illness specialists, the naturopaths, the bioregulatory doctors, they they shine because they can hold, you know, all of the many variables that might be, you know, getting to this outcome. So if we can show, uh, you know, a trajectory, a positive trajectory in mitochondrial efficiency with our therapies, I think it's going to be a, you know, a win for shifting this paradigm that we really want no so i am so you know grateful that you kept on you know going um letting this unfold in your life and obviously your research and it's just again it's gonna be fun like we should do a podcast every year and just see where you've gotten because it's just gonna be crazy
1: amazing as our system yeah. learns and we get more and more yeah, samples and we end. get better and better
0: yeah you know? yeah No, awesome. Well, no, I appreciate you sharing this insight with me personally, as well as with my community. And, you know, everyone who's listening, Dr. Patel is, you know, working closely with my clinic, and we are, you know, getting these tests out to patients and to people interested. And, you know, again, this is a way to really take your health to the next level. And I think seeing, your this in black and white will also encourage um, you to be resourceful and find your healing path, which is what we all want for you. So it's gonna be fun to see this test shift and change in the positive direction as people feel better and get better. Yeah, Dr. Patel, anything else that you want to leave the audience with? This was incredible, as always.
1: Yeah, no, I mean I think that that tagline that we have, A "Healthier You" really begins with me, and it's mm-hmm. understanding your energetic state, which mm-hmm. is what me Screen allows you to do. I think is going to revolutionize how you behave and do and think, right? Everyone's interested in a number. Yeah. And this is actually an important number.
0: Yeah, yeah. And this test is actually, you know, there's many tests out there. Like, I'm trying to, like, get through, distill information, like, very quickly, in you know, a test. And I'm like, where is the signal that I'm looking for? And this is just, like, very clear. It's not pages and pages of, you know, data. So thank you. Thank you for yeah. doing
2: that. No, well, it was great I'm being here.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for being here. And again, is there anywhere, you know, people can connect with you or, you know, with Versailles if you want to give those links out, we'll just have those.
1: Yeah. So, um, me com. So it's very easy. And then we have a portal for patients that are interested as well as providers, and Mm -hmm. you can log in your information and send it to us. And -hmm. then I think I sent you the link for our marketing team as well definitely reach out to them and they'll get you interested. Typically what we do is we have a session with me to get you sort of the biology of what we're doing and how we're doing it. And then we have a a lab information management system that we've created so we give people a a tour guide of how to get into that. And then they're off to the races and we just try to get more and more tests out there so we get more and more data. Hmm.
0: Well, thank you for what you do and thank you for being here. And have a beautiful day, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Thank you all for listening to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Christine Schaffner, and I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Dr. Hamel Patel. Check out all the information in the show notes, and if you'd like to get your own knee screen, we can do that for you at Imminence Health. Contact us, and you can find us on the website in the show notes. I hope this inspired you to take your health to the next level and that you are empowered beyond your limits and what is possible. I hope you have a beautiful day and thank you so much for being part of my
2: podcast community. Thank you.